So we've been looking at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the historical account of the things that happened after the resurrection of Christ, the birth of the New Testament church, and then maybe the first 20, 30 years of history of the church. So things are going great. They solved this internal problem, and the church is continuing to grow rapidly, and, and people of high standing are getting saved, even priests. And imagine the types of people they're bringing with them. So the church is growing, and it's in Jerusalem, and it's just in Jerusalem. And then uh, Stephen, who is one of the seven who was chosen to help feed the widows, Stephen finds himself in a little hot water and he's proclaiming the Christ and it doesn't really go very well and the people get really mad at him. They stone Stephen, the first martyr. Stephen is stoned to death and that changes everything. Let's read how this happens in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Here's where we pick it up. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. That is the death of Stephen. Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul, was there cheering on the stoning of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The apostles were able to stay, and the rest were scattered. This is thousands of people are scattered. Verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This is a difficult situation for the church. And it is a major hinge point in church history. Because up till now, they're in Jerusalem. And the church is growing to probably tens of thousands. I mean, there were 3,000 people that got saved at the day of Pentecost thing in Acts chapter 2. And then there's these growth and growth and growth and growth. Where are we at now? I'm assuming tens of thousands. Massive. They have so many widows that it takes seven people to figure out how to make it work. This is a big, big church. And then this persecution hits. And they spread out. This is a major point in history regarding the Great Commission and Acts 1.8. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So this is in Matthew, one of the Gospels, where the book of Acts picks up after that. So Jesus told this to the apostles years before. He says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So who are they to bring the gospel to? All nations. Now, amazingly, the apostles had not yet conceived of the possibility that the gospel should go to non-Jewish people. Jesus says this to them, and they think, oh, that means the Jews. That's what they thought. And then Acts 1.8, so we're in Acts chapter 8. This is Acts chapter 1. Jesus says this, and both of these are the resurrected Jesus. So I mean, like, you pay attention to the one who rose from the dead and is now talking to you. 
Jesus says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So where are they to be witnesses for Jesus? To the whole ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Where are they? Jerusalem. They got so many people, they can't even handle them all. And they're just staying in Jerusalem. And it doesn't specifically say this in Acts chapter 8. But lots of people think this, and I agree, that the church, they were good at taking care of each other. But they had forgotten to bring the gospel to the world. And so they needed a kick in the pants to get to work and do the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. They needed to be kicked out of the house, and they weren't going to go because everything is going great, and it's happy and fun, and they needed encouragement to fulfill the Great Commission to do what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They were to do that. They didn't go out. Acts 8, verse 4 The next verse after the persecution says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This day, this persecution was the greatest missionary sending day in the history of the church. Thousands were sent on the same day, all to unreached people. Thousands on the same day as a result of persecution. If it wasn't for the persecution, they would have stayed in Jerusalem, but they needed to go. Persecution came and off they went. My question I have that I'll have to ask God is, what if they had gone out before the persecution started? Well, they were well received in the places they went. The trouble was in Jerusalem. What if they'd have left first? What would have happened to Stephen? What he'd been preaching in the outer regions instead of having a terrible thing happen to him in Jerusalem. I don't know. I'm interested. I will ask the Lord on that day. Now, the rest of this chapter focuses on Philip. Philip is also one of the seven. So Stephen, he's the first martyr. And then Philip is also one of the seven. He's scattered. So the question there is, so what happens to the widows after the persecution starts? Because it totally messes up the whole plan. Philip goes and he's one of these presumably thousands who are scattered and he's the one that makes the paper. You know, like if you're playing a football game and you know, one of your friends gets their picture in the paper, you ever have that happen? You know, like they can't take a picture of everybody, but somebody gets their picture in the paper, but everybody worked really hard. Everybody played really hard. Everybody was a team and got the job done, but somebody gets their picture in the paper. So Philip is the one who's focused on in Acts chapter 8 because some remarkable things happen with Philip, but this is happening all over. It isn't just Philip. There's these people who have been scattered and they all preach the word wherever they went. So this is an incredible missionary moment. Let's take a look at some of the exploits of Philip. Verse 5, next verse. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Now, this may seem like a simple little phrase. Philip went to Samaria. Now, the the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. You may think there's racial tensions in the United States right now. It's nothing compared to Jew-Samaritan. That's why when Jesus gave the talk about the good Samaritan, it was a slap in the face. It was, 
you know, if at least you could be as good as these people you hate and look down on and think are fools, if at least you could be that good. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. It was a slap. And so Philip goes to Samaria and he's proclaiming the Christ. This is a huge moment in time. This is a big deal. They go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and the one that went to Samaria gets the press. And so Philip goes to Samaria. What happens? Next verse. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. So miracles are happening. He's praying. Things are going on. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. They're having evangelistic meetings. Later on in Acts, Philip is described as Philip the Evangelist. You know, he gets a name from this. Philip the Evangelist, not Philip the Apostle. There's a Philip in the 12. This is a Philip from the 7. Philip the Evangelist. And he goes to Samaria, and they're having great evangelistic meetings. People are getting healed and delivered, and they're believing in God. Let's keep reading verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. Now, if you went through all that trouble, couldn't he come up with a more creative name? I am the great power. Anyway, I'm just disappointed with Simon on that one, but it's okay. Verse 11, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time, with his magic, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon was a magician, and he was, he was a fraud, but he was good at it. And he saw what Philip was doing, and he was like, this is something I don't know. There is power here. And so Philip is able to preach the word and demonstrate the power of God in such a effective way that even Simon himself says, all right, I'm, I'm giving up my sorcery ways. I'm no longer the great power. I'm now just going to follow this thing that Philip is talking about. I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so Simon gets saved. It's amazing stuff. Then, verse 14, word gets out. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John. So, Philip went to Samaria. And as we go deeper into the book of Acts, we will find out just how significant these tensions are. If there's thousands that are scattered, and Philip is doing this, they send two of the apostles. So they go check it out. When they arrived... They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. So apparently, Peter and John are like, sweet, this is going great because they just go from evangelistic healing meetings into Holy Spirit meetings. They've been seeing deliverance and healing and evangelism and people getting saved and getting baptized. And now they're like, all right, it's time to have a Holy Spirit meeting. We're going to go there with the Samaritans. And so they just continue on. 
The reason they did this was because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the ministry of Philip, the evangelist, he brings them into a place. They see miracles. They believe they get baptized. Then the apostles come and they minister in the Holy Spirit. And amazing things are happening in Samaria. Very, very cool. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter Simon gets in some trouble because he's used to buying magic tricks from people. And so he says to Peter and John, hey, man, you know, how much would it cost for me to be able to give the Holy Spirit to people? And he gets in real trouble. And anyway, Peter was really mad at him. But, you know, that stuff can happen. So anyway, amazing things happen in Samaria, but Philip is not done yet. He gets a specific word from God and he goes on a divine appointment. So Acts 8.26 Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, an angel of the Lord, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So it's like an angel appears to you and says, you know, go down to Highway 23 and start heading south. Okay. So Philip goes. And then let's skip to verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. So you show up and there's a, there's a truck. Go stand by that truck. (laughs) You know. Oh, God told me to stand by the truck. So he goes over there and he starts standing by this chariot. Let's keep reading verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So God brings Philip to this chariot, who, by the way, has a dignitary from Ethiopia in it. And he's reading the Bible out loud. He's reading an Isaiah. And this is a divine appointment. Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself? Or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So the Spirit brings Philip to a dignitary from another country, now Ethiopia. So that's that's in Africa. And this man is reading prophecy about the crucifixion of Christ in the Old Testament, and Philip is able to explain it to him because of this divine appointment. It's amazing stuff going on. So We've gone from Jerusalem to Samaria and the ends of the earth real quick. And then Philip continues to preach. He's all over that region. He takes about a 60 mile as the crow flies trip up to Caesarea and he's preaching the gospel the whole way and amazing things are happening. And this is just an incredible change from the happy church in Jerusalem, growing, always having more numbers, occasional problems, solve the problem. And then we progress to persecution and being scattered. But then the greatest missionary moment, the turning of the focus of the gospel from the church in Jerusalem to reaching the world happens in Acts chapter 8 through this persecution. And so what are some lessons we can learn from Acts chapter 8? I've got four. First one, obey God when things are going well. These New Testament believers had forgotten to go make disciples of all nations. 
Things were going well. They were growing. Church was going good. They're adding staff. All this stuff is happening. Now, it's hard to believe that they had forgot the Great Commission. The apostles had forgotten the Great Commission. Now, I don't think they were in willful disobedience. I think they're just so busy. All this stuff is happening. You know, I mean, they don't really understand all the things that are going on. They're trying to solve the problem with the widows. And now we got the, you know, the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews, and they might start fighting with each other. What are we going to do? You know, they're trying to solve all these problems. And they didn't set up a sending program to bring the gospel to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth like Jesus told them to. They were just content in their circle. Obey God when things are going well. It's amazing that they forgot the Great Commission, but here's the question. Does the Great Commission apply to us as well? And so if we're just, well, I wish they would sing songs that I liked better, and that's the focus of our faith, then we're in our little internal world and we've forgotten the Great Commission just the same as them. Are you ready for my mean phrase of the day? Ready or not, here it comes. We, the church, we as believers, we must not be complicit with darkness because we are comfortable and self-centered. We must not be complicit with the evil of this world. And we must not be complicit with people being lost and losing out on everlasting life because no one told them. We must not be complicit with darkness and evil because we are comfortable and self-centered. Amen. When I was a brand new Christian and I came to the realization that God was real, that was a shocker, and that heaven and hell were real, that was a shocker. I was perfectly content with living this life and then being worm food. I thought that was awesome. It's great to be alive. That's fantastic. You know, how did I even get here? I don't even know how that happened. This is awesome. This is me. I get to be alive. That's great. And then there's everlasting life, but not everybody gets it. Some people get something else. And so to me, the picture in my mind was a big high-rise building, all full of people, big skyscraper that's on fire. It's just little fires here and there. And some people got out. And when they got out, what did they do? They went down the block to the park, started having a picnic and singing songs with each other. Sound the alarm, man. You're like, go get some people out of the building. What are you doing having a picnic? You know, and I was like, that's the church. Let's go have a picnic and sing some songs and wish it was better. It's on fire, man. It drove me bonkers. We must not be complicit with the darkness because we're comfortable and self-centered. Things were going well. Everything was growing. They stayed in Jerusalem. They had to get kicked out by persecution. Stephen had to die. They had to flee. It was very unpleasant. But then the gospel was spread. Things that good hope are going well. We need to stay hungry we got to fight the darkness because there are great needs out there and we are complicit with the darkness if we just get comfortable and self-centered. We must fight. There's lots to do. Let's not get comfortable. We must stay hungry. Obey God when things are going well. Second thing, important lesson to learn is that God knows what he's doing even when you're going through a hardship. How terrible would it have been to be part of that church in Jerusalem Stephen gets killed. Stephen's awesome. He got advanced. Now he gets to speak in front of everyone and they kill him. And now Saul is running around going into your home and dragging you out. So Aunt Sally got taken and you flee to Samaria. 
How unpleasant is that? But God was in the middle of it. It was the greatest missionary sending moment in the world. God knows what he's doing even when things are difficult. There is zero record of any believers getting mad at God when this persecution broke out. Philip didn't go to Samaria and say, oh, now I got to live here because God left us in Jerusalem and now it's all terrible and I wish God wasn't so terrible. You know, he goes to Samaria and he's like, you know what? God is so awesome. I know there's bad things were going on there in Jerusalem. But you know what? I bet if we prayed that people would get healed, people would get delivered. You know, here's the truth of God. And they have evangelistic meetings. Philip isn't mad at God. He's telling people how awesome God is. And that was going on all over the known world there as those people were distributed. They didn't get mad at God. You know, I see two types of people. There's the people who love God when everything's going great. And then when they face the struggle, they're like, why God? They get mad at God. Then there's the people who, when things are going great, they drift away from God. They become very complacent. But then when everything falls apart, they're like, God, you got to help me. Now, here's the deal. Let's combine those two. And let's be the people that when things are going great, we're thankful and we're faithful and diligent. And we're just like, God is so great. Let's be that when things are going well. And then when things are hard, let's cry out to God and trust him as our savior, our deliverer, our helper. Let's trust God in the hard time. Let's combine those two together. Let's take the best of both of them and let's grab hold of thankfulness and diligence when things are going well. And let's realize that Our God is our helper in our time of need, and let's cry out to him when things are hard. God knows what he's doing, even when things are hard. Third one, the gospel is for everyone, not just the people like you. Philip went to the Samaritans. So not only was Philip kicked out of his comfort zone, but he went to a hated group of people. And he shared the gospel and they got saved and Peter and John show up and they're like, yep, this is God. And they they have a Holy Spirit meeting and they welcome in the Samaritan. This is huge. The gospel is for everyone, not just people like you, not just people you like. We'll talk more about that again, because this is a huge thing. The racial tensions, the spiritual implications of that from Judaism into Christianity, it's huge. But here's the deal. The gospel is still for everyone, not just for the people that you like. So who gets to come to Good Hope Church? Everyone. The gospel's for everyone. Everyone. Let's embrace that. Let's understand that. This isn't a club where we just want to have our friends together. This is the gospel. We embrace everyone and help them get to know the Lord better and grow in the Lord We must catch and embrace the fact that good hope is for everyone, that the church of Jesus Christ is for everyone. But again, the three things, lessons from the persecution, Acts chapter 8. First thing, obey God when things are going well because you don't want that kick in the pants. Number two, God knows what he's doing even when things are difficult. Number three, the gospel is for everyone, not just people like you. And the last point is this, God expects every believer, you and me, to be part of the solution. God expects every believer to be part of the solution. Now, this isn't heavy because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, I came to give them life and life more abundantly. 
but he expects every believer to be part of the solution. Too many people think, if I'm going to go all in with Jesus, I've got to move to Africa, or I've got to preach from the front. Those are my two options. There are so many other options. Our closing scripture, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. We are called to make the most of every opportunity. If there's an opportunity, it is something that is placed by God in front of you, like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. God placed that opportunity in front of him, and he just took it. He didn't make it happen. He didn't go banging on chariots, you know, trying to figure out. He just followed the Lord's leading, and he took the opportunity. What are the opportunities that are in front of you? It may not be move to Africa and be a full-time missionary. It may be send a message to that relative where there's some tension. And there's an opportunity to show some love and some Christ-like character and make a difference. What is the opportunity in front of you? Each one of us is going to have different opportunities in front of us. But the scripture says we should make the most of every opportunity. It says that because God expects every believer to be part of the solution. So let's stay hungry. Let's stay diligent. Let's live out our purpose in Christ. Let's pray along these lines of making the most of every opportunity. So pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not okay with evil and darkness in this world. You are not okay with that. You are not okay with people in poverty and being victims. And you have called your church to bring your light into the darkness. Lord, that seems like a heavy burden. But Father, help us to know that if each one of us just does our part, Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so, Father, open before our minds what the opportunities are. Lord, if we need to forgive someone, if we need to deal with our own heart, and that's the opportunity that's there, let's take it. Lord, if we have an opportunity to make a difference in someone else's life, to be able to serve in a church ministry in some way, or just go speak to someone like Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch, You put that situation in front of us and we just take it. Lord, help us to see the opportunities and make the most of them. Because we know, Father, you've got a good plan. And Lord, I pray that your peace would be upon us. Lord, that we would know your joy and have it be our strength. And Father, that we would know who we truly are by knowing how much you love us. That we would never be insecure. We would never look down on ourselves. We would never be caught in that trap because we know who we are in your eyes. Fill us up to the full measure of that so that we can be strong and secure and love those in our life that are difficult to love. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.